Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. And so I'm going to talk about some of the same concepts I did talk about last week, but we're going to elaborate on things a little bit more. So tonight, this is entitled The Book of Acts Christian. The Book of Acts Christian. The Christian Call. You know, as I've been reading right now in my personal time, which I should say this too, I know we have all kinds of different people that watch online. If you're in the ministry, you should have personal time with the Lord. You should have personal time every day where you're reading your Bible that's not message prep. It's not sermon prep. You know, I don't even understand. In fact, I try to keep my heart so pure. I told the Lord the other day, I was praying and I said, Lord, if I've ever done it, let me never do it again. I said, I'll never stand up in front of people and just try to put a show on. I said, everything that I say, let it be an overflow of my relationship with you. Amen. Amen. Anything that people hear come out of my mouth, let them catch this, this realization that it came, it came to me first in the, prayer, in the prayer time. It came to me first in the quiet place. It came to me first by the whisper of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so um, I've been reading personally the book of Acts. And as I'm reading, it's just blow, the Lord's showing me stuff I've never seen before. And I've really been kind of looking what is God's blueprint for a Christian. I almost said a New Testament Christian, but that's stupid because there was no Old Testament Christian. The term Christian wasn't even used until the book of Acts under Paul's ministry, right? So anytime we say Christian, we're talking about New Testament believers. Amen. So I've been kind of looking, what is the blueprint for a New Testament believer? And and I don't know about you, but I try to humble myself as I read that word and say, Lord, I don't want to be like any other American, right? I don't want American religion. I don't want American Christianity. I don't want the bells and whistles and the show and the elaborate speech with people. I said, I just want to, I want to get like, I want to, I want to fit in with this bunch, right? In the book of Acts, I want to look like that. And anything that needs to go, Lord, let it go. Anything we need to change in the church, we'll change it to conform to this word here. And so the Christian call, the book of Acts, the book of Acts Christian, let me just say this too. I wrote this down and I may read it and then I'll take some time to teach about some of it. But Bible Christianity is not just getting saved and showing up to church. Hallelujah. Bible Christianity is not just getting saved and showing up to church. But I would say to the majority of Christians, that's actually a step up from what they're doing because they're getting saved and they're not even showing up to church. Hallelujah. At least if you're getting saved and showing up to church, is there something wrong with this mic here? Do I need to do something? Tristan's shaking his head yes. If, if I need to do something, hurry, hurry, run, run, run. Tristan's like a pug. He has little legs.
Amen. We got a new mic, so this is supposed to be like the entry-level professional mic because we've never had like professional mics, but this thing seems to suck so far, so he's just getting used to it. It's my fault, I'm sure. Hallelujah. So Bible Christianity is not just getting saved and showing up to church. Let me say this. That's important. You should get saved. You should show up to church, right? You should, in fact, you should show up to church every time. That's the blueprint in the scripture. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake assembling together as some people do. You know, so part of the call of being a Christian, it says in Acts 2, they devoted themselves. Devoted. Say devoted. You know, and I'll end up talking about this, but there really is a cost of following Jesus. There's a cost when you come into the kingdom. There's a cost that salvation's, it's funny, salvation is completely free, but yet at the same time, it will cost you absolutely everything. And if you're subscribing to some type of faith or salvation that doesn't cost you anything, I'm going to tell you, it's not the salvation of the Bible. And it's not the Christianity of the Bible. But the reason I'm talking about this is that's kind of like the, the Christian goal, is that we just want people to get saved and we just want their butt in the chair, which is important. But people, they think that if they can accomplish that, that we've achieved kind of the climax of Christianity, right? But when you go around preaching, you meet a lot of, uh, I mean, preaching, door knocking, going door to door, neighborhood to neighborhood. You meet a lot of people that are in denomination, that are in religion, that they're saved, and they show up to church every week, but they're completely missing the whole emphasis of New Testament Christianity. Hallelujah. So again, here's kind of my, here's my point here. Most people think, here's, here's what it looks like to be a Christian. You get saved, you go to work, you make some money, you raise some kids, you retire, and you go to church. Amen. Right? That's what people think. But I'm going to tell you, as I'm reading this, and it's challenging me, that is not Book of Acts, New Testament, Christianity. Amen. So, let me also say all of those things are good. You should get saved. You should go to work. Hallelujah. You should make money. You should raise your kids. And you should go to church. But that is not your Christian purpose. Are you with me? Those are all things that you should do, but they should actually come alongside what the actual Christian purpose is. If you were here last week, you know kind of where I'm going. What is the Christian purpose? Before I get to this, I want to read a few scriptures here. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given authority, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Say disciples. You know, it, it's interesting, but Jesus didn't just tell us to go and, and preach. He told us to go and make disciples. That actually means to teach, to teach, to come underneath. So what he's saying here, go and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Say discipled. So basically, here's my whole point. We're going to look at this in a moment. 
Because I want to get to what, what, is, what is Jesus. Whenever we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus was on this earth for three years, what did he have in his mind when he envisioned the church that was coming? What did he have in his mind when he envisioned believers that were coming, that were going to be brought in to the family of God? And I'll tell you, Really what he envisioned is when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he spent three years, three years modeling to his disciples, this is what life looks like. The Bible says that he went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. In fact, all that Jesus did, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that he didn't go golfing. He, you know, the Bible says, well, he was a carpenter. You know that we actually have no biblical record of Jesus being a carpenter. We have a record of Jesus' father supposedly being a carpenter. And so it's kind of just Jewish kind of idea that he would have taken that trade on. We have no record of his life from the time that he was 12 years old to the time that he was about 30 years old. Right? But then the only record that we do have, he put this model out where he went around place to place, synagogue to synagogue, town to town, city to city, village to village, preaching, teaching, casting out devils, and healing the sick. And in fact, whenever he began to raise up disciples, we'll look at this in a moment in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10, he did not say, just go get married, go get a job, go raise your children, and go make money, and go to church. No, he sent them to do the same things that he did, village to village, city to city, synagogue to synagogue. He said, preach. He said, teach. Tell them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Cast out devils, heal the sick, and raise the dead. That was what he was. So listen to this. He said, go and make disciples. He didn't say just go fill the pews with people to hear a clever little illustrated message. Discipleship means that you were creating the blueprint of Jesus inside of people. The job of the church today is to reach out to the world and, and to bring people in and put the blueprint of Jesus on the inside of each and every person. Hallelujah. Say the blueprint. We are called to duplicate the blueprint of Jesus in people. Here's what the Christian life should look like. Here's why I'm even talking about this. You should get saved. Say saved. You should get trained. Say trained. And then you should be commissioned. This is the major problem because I meet people week after week. I'm starting to see. I can't walk around as much. Don't worry. We'll work the kinks out. I'm meeting people week after week that have gotten saved, but they're in their 80s or 90s, 90-year-old. 90s, I'm sorry, they're in their 80s or 90s, and they've still never been trained, and they've never been commissioned by the Lord. Hallelujah. What does that tell you? That's a problem. That's subscribing to a form of Christianity where you think your highest call and duty is just to live your life, show up to church, and do what you're going to do. That's not New Testament Bible Christianity. Are you with me? Look at this, Mark 16, 15 through 20. Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news to anyone and everyone. Say everyone. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, you don't got to be a spiritual weirdo. There's a lot of people that are like, because well, here's, here's kind of the weird thing behind it, right? We should be led by the Spirit. 
When we go soul winning on Saturdays, we don't just really try to do random anymore. The Lord gave us a revelation out of the scripture. We, we try to be led by the Holy Ghost exactly where we go, which apartment, which street, which neighborhood we go to. That's important. But at the same time, it's God's will for the gospel to be preached to everyone. Say everyone. So here's just a simple reality. Every time that you walk into a public place, look around and get this realization. God loves each and every person that's here, and it's God's will that each and every person that's here hears the message of the gospel. Think about that. When you walk into Walmart, there may be a 1,000 people in Walmart. God's will, he said, go and preach to everyone. That means you could be inside the will of God just picking one out of the 1,000 and telling them about Jesus Christ. If you're someone, it's God's will for you to hear the message of the gospel. Hallelujah. So that just tells you, stop waiting and begin to act on the word of God. And then he says this, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. And let me go ahead and tell you this. Not everybody's going to believe the message. When you go out and you start doing what we're about to talk about, don't get discouraged when people reject you. Jesus promised that they would reject you. Well, if I had a better personality... You guys, there was no more anointed person than Jesus. The Bible said that he had the spirit of God without measure, but yet they rejected him. You know, I've been studying the ministry of Apostle Paul, and at one point he's healing the sick, and the next week that he shows up to preach, the whole town says the entire city showed up to hear him preach. And then some Jews came behind and turned the people against Paul. And next thing you know, they were dragging him out of the city and stoning him to death. What does that tell you? There will be some. Here, it's not you. If people reject it, it's not you. Get this in you. If people reject it, they're rejecting the Jesus that's inside of you. They're rejecting the truth. They're saying, God's saying that they're rejecting you because they reject me first. Say, it's not me. Hallelujah. So that means what? Don't take it personal and don't get discouraged. What do you do when you preach the gospel and somebody rejects it? You can weep. You can pray for them. You can pray that their soul be saved, but you say next and you move on to the next person. Hallelujah. That's why I'm telling you, don't come to the church. (laughs) I know this won't make me friends. Don't come to the church and try to play games and run around and then want to run off and go Hear the truth and totally go chase after other things and then get offended that people aren't chasing behind you. No, please, you know, just showing up at your door every single day begging you to please come back because we cannot survive without you. I'm telling you, we don't have time for stuff like that. We'll pray for you. We'll welcome anybody back that repents. But the reality is, what do you do when someone leaves and wants to be offended and pursue after other things? You say, next, and you go and preach the gospel to somebody else. Because there's over 7 billion people on the planet, most of them going to hell and don't know the Lord. We don't have time for babies that want to live in their flesh. And I'm not talking about walking with people. I know as a pastor, we should walk with people, and we do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a person that wants to play games. Y'all know what I'm saying here? Not like, oh, I'm young in my faith and I'm just struggling. No, a person that's, that's being used by the devil to kill, steal, and destroy, and distract, not playing the games. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So he said... 
Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Say those that believe. So understand this. Jesus is sending out his disciples. He's telling them, go preach to everyone. Out of everyone you preach to, some will believe, some won't. When these people believe, right, these new believers, he said, these signs will follow them. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Then the Lord had finished talking to them. He was taken up into heaven, and he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Is there any way you can turn this up at all? At God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere. Say everywhere. And they preached. Why did they do that? Because that's what they saw Jesus do. Say everywhere. The disciples went everywhere, and what did they do when they went everywhere? They preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Say confirming. So I'm going to tie a verse here with this. Look at Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Acts 14, 3, it says, The apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord, And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to perform miraculous signs and wonders. Say proof. Here's something you need to understand about miracles. Miracles are given to prove the message. Right? Miracles are given to, here's, again, it's really simple. Jesus is the way, the only way, the only truth, the only life. God's not an idiot. He understands. I know in America, like, everybody gets that. But the more that time goes on, the further that you're seeing these other religions being embraced in the United States of America. But if you were to go over to India, they believe in many different gods, right? They believe in Sheba. They believe in, I mean, you could go through the list of all the gods that they believe. You start telling them about this wonderful Jesus, what's their reply going to be? Well, what's, how, who's to say that that's the God? What's wrong with the gods that we worship? That's why there must be signs, wonders, and miracles. Because there's only one true living God. There's only one resurrect, uh, resurrected God. His name is Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that the blind see, that the deaf hear. Because it authenticates the message that's being preached. And so you've got to understand, miracles are given. Power, say power, is given to prove The message. So what does that mean? Go back up to what we were just reading in Mark 16, 15 through 20. He said, these signs will follow those who believe. Say, that's talking about us. This ain't talking about just the 12 apostles. This is talking about anybody who hears this message. These signs will begin to follow them. Right? Now let's tie these thoughts together. If if power and miracles only come to back the message and these signs shall follow those that believe what does that tell you jesus only ever envisioned a christian that went around preaching and teaching the gospel that was his only idea of what a christian was are you with me 
When he thought of the church, when he thought about the believers coming after him that he was giving his life for, he didn't think about people that just showed up to a service if they had time for it. He didn't think about people that just went to work and made money and got married and raised their kids and lived their life. He, only, he envisioned one type of person. It was a person that went around doing everything that he did. Say everywhere. Say preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Now, here's, here's where we come in. You say, John, why, do you, why are you pushing this so hard? That's discipleship. That's teaching. I don't expect lost people to come in and get saved, and then all of a sudden they just, man, they just start doing the ministry of Paul, the ministry of Jesus. No, you have to be trained. You have to be told. How can you, be, how can you do something that you're not told that you should even be doing it, Right? That's why we do things like in our church, like we, put, we push towards soul winning. We have organized soul winning on Saturdays where we're pushing people to come and, in fact, making you feel, if you're wondering, like, John, you preach it so hard where you make me feel convicted if I don't show up to that stuff. Good. I'm doing my job because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make you feel convicted into showing up. Why am I doing that? Because that's discipleship. What is that discipleship of? That's the blueprint of the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is his only idea when it comes to a New Testament Christian. Are y'all with me here? Do I need to switch? Mics? Now it's bothering me, the cutting in and out. Switch? Check, check, check. There we go. All right. We'll get it figured out. Amen. Hallelujah. So God only ever envisioned a believer who carried the message. That's why signs follow those that believe. Hallelujah. You guys get that? Signs don't follow... The pastor, the apostle, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet. It says it follows those who believe. Is anybody a believer in here? So if signs, all, if, if signs follow those who believe, but yet signs only are given to prove the message, what does that mean? Every single believer is to carry the message of the gospel. Are you with me? Hallelujah. You know, and it's also important, too, I wrote this. Discipleship is to duplicate the blueprint of Jesus in people. We aren't called to just make a room full of conservative Republicans that show up to church once a week. Are you with me? Now, again, I'm not one of those, you know, that I'm not afraid to get political because I'm not afraid of the truth, and the truth is the truth. But that's not our goal. Our goal isn't just to make fat, plump, happy people that they'll show up to church and the pastor says, homosexuality is a sin. And everybody says, amen. And then they go back out, you know, and, and they got their Coors Light. I know how it is in Texas. That's not God's idea of a Christian. His idea of, of a Christian is the blueprint of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ inside of each and every one of us. Amen. Let's move on here. So I'm going to give you some facts tonight about Christianity. Number one, write this down. 
Your calling as a Christian, and this is kind of a repeat from last week, but I got to be honest with you, after I preached the message last week, I was kind of shocked because I, I, th- I think that people are still, they, they're seeing it in the Bible, but not wanting to fully commit to it. And so by the Spirit of the Lord, I just feel to continue to drive these points home because this is God's only idea. This is what God's doing in the earth. Amen. In fact, if you understand what God's doing, God, God's not really just interested in raising up clever, talented little individuals that build these huge castles in the kingdom where you just come and it's just built off of talent. It's built off of how well somebody can speak and how funny they are and how many jokes they put in their sermon. That's not God's blueprint of winning the 7 billion people that are going to hell right now in the world. God's only blueprint in the scripture is making disciples of Jesus Christ. So understand this about a Bible Christianity. Number one, your calling is to preach the gospel. It's not your occupation. Your calling is to preach. Say this. Say, my calling is to preach the gospel. Say, my calling is not my occupation. I told you I was listening to the, the man right now who's having the largest crusades on planet Earth. He's having them all over the world. India, Africa. His name's Dag Haywood Mills. Listening to one of his services recently, he said that. He said, did you know that being a doctor is not a biblical calling? Nowhere in the Bible will you see that God in the New Testament, God anointed so-and-so to be a doctor. Nowhere in the Bible, really, look, look through Matthew to the Revelation, nowhere will you find where God anointed so-and-so to be a lawyer. God anointed so-and-so to be a carpenter. God anointed Brother Billy Bob to be an electrician. God anointed Sister Sally to be a nurse. No, that our occupations are important. It's not that we aren't to work, but th- there's only one anointing. There's only one high call of God for every person, and it is to be a messenger and a carrier of the gospel. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Your occupation is not your call. It's how you make money. Are you with me? Paul built tents. Was, did God give him the anointing of tent maker? No, he didn't. Paul made tents. Why? To, to eat, to pay the bills. And, and he understood his call was to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he understood. He got a, he got a revelation from the scripture that he was to go and preach the gospel where it had never been preached before. That's how he got this blueprint to start going around traveling to the, to the Roman Empire, to these cities that were unpioneered and bringing and pioneering the message of the gospel in these cities. Hallelujah. You know, people think like that. And here's my point even saying that. Your calling is to preach the gospel. It's not your occupation. Because you all, you, we have a generation of Christians rising up that say, I'll leave the preaching to the preachers, amen. That's not my place in the body. My place in the body is just to be a lawyer for Jesus. There's no lawyers for Jesus in the Bible. Are you with me? My place is to be a doctor for the Lord, and I'm just going to go, and I'm going to do brain surgery real good for the Lord. It's not, it's, yes, we are to work under the Lord. I'm not telling you not to work, but that is not a Bible calling. 
Amen. A Bible calling is if you're a Christian to preach the gospel or you can have an appointment to the fivefold, an apostle, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. Y'all with me tonight? So write this down under that same point and turn to Matthew chapter 9, 35. But the point is this. Jesus raised up harvesters. He did not raise up people in occupations. That's important to understand. Jesus raised up harvesters. Say harvesters. Look at this in Matthew chapter 9. He says in verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages in the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So I automatically understand this. He traveled through all the towns and villages of the area. Say of the area. That means that, you know, you can be called by God to a certain place. It could be Angelina County. It could be East Texas. Then what is your role as a Christian? It's to adopt the blueprint of Jesus. It's to take responsibility for your area and to make sure that everybody in your area hears the message of the gospel. So it says he traveled all through the area announcing the good news about the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and illness. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. I can tell you and repeat the same thing that the Lord said there. He's saying it right now. The harvest is great. Listen, when we have prayer meetings, we don't have to pray. Lord, I'm praying that you just build this church. Father, I'm praying that you just increase this church. I'm praying that you just multiply this church. You know what he's saying? The harvest is so plentiful. The the increase isn't the problem. The problem is there's not enough workers going into the field to gather the harvest. Look what he says. Pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Say send. Here's something you got to understand about the harvest. I hear Christians that are so uber goober spiritual. It's so weird. You don't even understand what they're saying half the time. They talk Christianese. But they'll talk about the harvest, the harvest, the harvest. And, 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 And here's their idea. Or here's what they think God's blueprint for the harvest is. Let's just have a prayer meeting and let's ask the Lord to send the harvest to us. It doesn't work that way, y'all. Are you with me? When we have revival, it's not just to pull to send the harvest here to us. What it really is, when we have meetings, when we have ministers coming, it's to get an impartation into you, and then harvesters go out into the field when they get that impartation. So if we want the harvest, where do we have to go? To the field. Amen. So that means that if we refuse to go into the field, and we just sit back here, and wait for the harvest to come to us, it's never going to happen because that's not God's biblical blueprint. If you want the harvest, you got to go to the field. Hallelujah. If you want the harvest, you got to go to where the harvest is. Well, what's the harvest? Is it the little K-love Christians that are already saved and already going to church and let's just get everybody to church hop and come over to this? No, the harvest is the lost and the unsaved. That's who God's after. He said, it's it's my will that none should perish, but all come to the knowledge of the truth. 
If you want the lost and the unsaved, the harvest, what does that mean? We have to go where the lost and the unsaved are. Are you with me? The lost and the unsaved, here's a crazy thought here, they aren't in the church. They're not Christians. (laughs) Non-Christians don't go to church. And that's why I'll encourage you too. You need to be inviting people to church, but it doesn't really make sense to a Christian to give up an evening of their, uh, to a person that's not a Christian, to give up an evening on Wednesday night. Does that make sense? I've been working hard all day long, and this dude's just, this woman, this man, their only you know, approach to me is, here's a card, you should come to church. That doesn't connect with them. The Bible doesn't say inviting people to church is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It says the gospel is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. Say the gospel. So as a Christian, we have to be equipped with the message of the gospel. We have to tell people who Jesus is by name. Don't be afraid to say that. Well, the Lord loves you. Well, you know, God loves you. God could be a lot of things to a lot of people. Say the name of Jesus. Jesus loves you. Let me ask you, my friend, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? They may say, well, yes, and most people in Texas, they'll say yes. You're not supposed to sit there and argue with them about whether they're saved or whether they're not saved. I would then go into something else like, are you sick? Guess what most people's answer is in 2022? Yes. Most people are sick because the government's hell-bent on putting all kinds of crap in our food that's just killing people left and right. Right? Anyways, another message for another time. But then that's where you, you follow through with the blueprint of Jesus. He didn't just go around telling people they could be saved. He went around healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead. You tell them, Something like this. You know that Jesus not only made a way for you to go to heaven, but if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus went around and healed the sick. And in fact, he said in Mark chapter 16 that if a believer could lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Can I pray for you, my friend? You know, I was actually, I'll tell you the testimony in a minute. I got to witness to a lady. She's supposed to be here Sunday at Office Depot right before service. Powerful time. Prayed for her neck. She had cancer. She was touched by the Lord. She ended up messaging me on Facebook. And if she's watching, I love you. Nice to meet you. But I, I ministered to her. I didn't even have a church card because we ran out. But this lady, she got touched by the Lord. She was hungry. We found each other on Facebook. She watched last week's sermon, and she messaged me and said, I'll see you Sunday morning. I just listened to that message. It's exactly what the Lord wanted me to hear. He sent you as an angel to tell me that Jesus loved me today. How many people do we see every day that are going to hell? Why? Here's the thing. I get that our flesh doesn't care. I understand that. Your flesh does not want the things that God wants. Your flesh could look at every single person and say, sucks to suck, you're going to hell, but I'm good. But that's why I'm telling you, we have to humble ourselves and get the heart of God. There's a price that we have to pay to get the heart of God. You know, the Bible talks about in, in Philippians that God will give us the power to do the things that please him. You know, you got to recognize that. Lord, 
I don't care about souls, but I should care about souls. So I'm going to press into you, and I'm going to use my faith. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to get extremely intentional about some kind of spiritual impartation coming into me to give me the power to care about the things that you care about. Because right now I don't, Lord, and, 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 and God won't condemn you. He'll help you if you'll come to him like that. But you got to care enough to do it. But why don't people care enough to do it? Because we think as long as they're little happy, silly butts in the chair and they go home and just live their life, that everything's good and happy and dandy. It's not New Testament biblical Christianity. Being a, you can write this down tonight. Being a Christian means sharing the gospel with other people. If you say, I wanted Christianity, but I don't want to share the gospel with other people, you did not do what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, which is count the cost. He said, before you even come, you need to count the cost. Who would begin construction on a building without first counting the cost? Who would go to war with another nation without first looking at the other army and looking at the troops that they had without first counting the cost? And then he goes on to say, in fact, you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything that you own. So if you haven't considered that, being a Christian means that God, when I stand before him on the great day of judgment, God has an expectation. He will hold me accountable to how many souls did I win in Angelina County? What did I do with the message of the gospel? He won't just say, well, you made a lot of money. Good job. You raised some kids. Good job. You showed up a few times a month to church. Good job. No, he's going to hold us accountable. What did you do with the greatest revelation, the treasure of heaven that you so freely received? What did you do with it? I live with that reality. You know what it makes me want to do? It makes me recognize every part in me that's opposing to that, that, that resists that, and then do what Paul does. What Paul did, he said, I discipline my body like a professional athlete. He said, I chastise my flesh. Pray fast. Give yourself to the Lord. Get in the Word. Well, I'm just not there. It's okay. But it's not okay if you stay that in that place of not being there. It's not okay. So in Matthew 9, again, he says, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his field. I've been praying that, Lord, let people grab a hold of this in our church. Lord, as these people are coming in and getting saved, let them grab a hold of the simple Christianity where they begin to go out into the harvest field. They go to begin to go out to their old friends, their old family members, the, everybody that they know, and tell them what Jesus has done for them and to bring them in to the banquet. Hallelujah. So then skip on down to Matthew chapter 10. He goes on to say this. So he prays, Lord, send more workers into the field. 
And I love this because Jesus, he didn't just, let me just say this, he didn't just pray without action. He acted on that prayer. He said, Lord, send more workers into the field. What did God do? All right, Jesus, here's some guys that you have right now. You're going to get up and you're going to send them out, right? Jesus gave him a strategy to fulfill the prayer that he was praying, which I've just given you a nugget there. If all you ever do is pray, 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 but there's never a action. There's never a path that's laid down to it. Now, how can I actively carry out the thing that I'm believing for? Then your prayers are useless. I'm telling you right now. God doesn't just call people to all they do is pray because faith without action isn't even faith at all. Come on, somebody. We should pray. We should pray for revival, but then we should also do the actions to see revival come. Don't tell me we're praying for revival, brother, every week. But then when, when people are bringing in, having meetings, going out, winning the harvest, getting people together to see a move of God take place and see hearts transformed, you don't want to show up ever. Your prayers are totally missing, God. Totally. Because at some point, if you're truly praying with a heart positioned towards the Lord, he's going to begin to give you a burden. And you're going to say, Lord... You know, I'm praying for revival. We're praying for a move. We're praying for you to do this. And then all of a sudden, you're going to realize, wait, Lord, here I am. You can send me. I'll go to work in the harvest field. Hallelujah. I'll put the, the, the pedal to the metal, the rubber to the road. So he goes on to say this. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only go to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. What did he say? Go and announce to them. That the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. This is the Christian blueprint for discipleship. I hope y'all are catching this because here's my point. If we're not doing this in the body of Christ, we're completely missing the whole point. If churches aren't gearing towards this, if churches aren't putting this inside of people, we are playing games with religion, and we are not in fellowship with the heart of God. We're totally denying the word. We're just playing games with religion if we're doing anything else but this. Now, I'm not saying that we don't teach people how to live. But Paul said, teach the full counsel of God's word. People should learn how to parent their children, Right? Christians that are getting saved should get the message of faith. They should get all these other things. But the DNA, the blueprint of Christianity is becoming a carrier of the, the message of the gospel. So here's the point. J Jesus raised up harvesters. He did not raise up people in occupations. In fact, this is interesting. No matter what a person's occupation was, they were to abandon their occupation for the single purpose of the gospel. Whenever Jesus actually walked the earth and he was making disciples, he made every single one of his disciples leave their occupation. To be trained up to do what? Go city to city, place to place, preach, teach, heal the sick, cast out devils, raise the dead. Teach them the message of the kingdom. No matter what their occupation was, the, Peter, he was a fisherman, Right? Levi, he was a tax collector. Luke, the, one of the disciples, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he was a doctor. 
So it didn't matter if they were a fisherman. It didn't matter if they were a tax collector. It didn't matter if they were a doctor. It didn't matter what their occupation was. They had one commandment from the Lord. Deny yourself. Leave that and come and follow after me. Preach, teach, heal the sick. Are y'all with me here? Look at Luke 9, 57 through 60. As they were walking along the road, someone said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever, I, wherever you go. Why aren't we teaching this to people? How many people do you know that have said that in their life? Lord, I'll follow you, Jesus. Lord, I mean, if you prayed that prayer to be saved, that's what you're saying. I'll follow you, Jesus. Are you with me? Jesus never modeled people just praying a prayer. You know what's actually interesting, and I'm not against the prayer. That's a good confession of faith. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. There is no laid out, repeat after me, where Jesus repeated. Jesus preached to people's hearts, and he let them get offended. He let them catch a hold of it. And he was not, if you didn't want to follow him, he didn't come chasing after you to make you follow him. Because if it wasn't in your heart, you, wouldn't, you weren't going to do it anyways. Are you with me? He said, they said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus wasn't trying to build a mega church or an Instagram following. He replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place even to lay his head. Which is actually interesting because you can read through the record, Jesus had many homes, actually. Did you know that? Jesus wasn't a hobo. Jesus actually had a lot of money. He had many homes. In fact, he had, a, he had a robe that was made for princes and kings. He had a, you could say it like this, Jesus actually wore in his day a custom-fitted suit. Because on, on the day of, of the crucifixion, it says that they gambled for his robe. And it was a, a robe that was sewn together with a single piece of cloth or a single piece of fabric. What that means was that his robe was made from one piece. It wasn't like they stitched the sleeves on like a, like a normal day person. It literally had to have been tailored and fitted specifically for him to be a single piece. Are you with me? So why was he saying then that I, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head? Because he was telling them this isn't just to get you rich. This isn't just to get you famous. If you're going to follow me, you better come to the end of yourself to the point of you may not have somewhere to sleep. If you have nowhere to sleep tomorrow night when it comes to rest your head, will you still follow me today? That's what he's telling this person. Because if there's any other motive in your heart, I'm telling you right now, it's not going to work. And, 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 and eventually you won't follow me. Because if there's anything else in your heart, there will come a point where you're not willing to go where I tell you to go. You're not willing to do what I tell you to do. You're not willing to say what I tell you to say. Because I'll tell you something. God will tell you to say some controversial things. If you're trying to get just rich and just famous and just build a church where everybody in the community loves you no matter what, I'm telling you, you're going to have a problem listening to the Lord because what a lot of people are going to find is that the God that they think that they worship is actually very different than the God of the Bible. They're going to hear some stuff that comes straight from his mouth, and they're going to say, I don't like that. Well, it's because you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you'd like that. Hallelujah. Amen. So, but he said, 
To another person, come and follow me. The man agreed, but said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Right? You got to understand this, that it was, it was actually wrong for that man to just leave his father unburied. Jesus wasn't saying leave the man unburied. Jesus is saying, no, let somebody else bury him, right? Let somebody, there's a million and one things that need to be done. Let somebody else do it. Look what he says here. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Say, my duty. Say, my duty is to get this message to the people of East Texas. One more time. My duty is to get this message to the people of East Texas. Go to work. But that's not your calling. Your duty is to get the message to the people of Angelina County. And I'll take it a step further. That's what you're going to be held accountable for. If you're a carpenter and you build cabinets, God ain't going to stand before you. On, you're not going to stand before him on judgment day and him say, well, you built 1,000 cabinets and I wanted you to build 1,015. Hallelujah. No, that's not what he's going to say. Your duty is to go. He told them, literally, let somebody else do it from now on. Now that you're calling yourself a disciple of mine, your single purpose is to go and preach the kingdom to other people. Hallelujah. That's all Jesus ever envisioned for anybody. In fact, there was the man with the legion of demons that came to Jesus. Jesus cast out the legion of demons, and it says that they came and found the man sitting at Jesus' feet. Worshiping him, insane, clothed, and in his right mind. The man began to beg Jesus, Jesus, let me follow you. Jesus understood this. It's not, it wasn't everybody's place to be one of the 12. Right? Because people have that mindset. Well, this was just the specific calling for those specific people. This is, was Peter's instructions, James, John's instructions. No, Jesus said, go back to where you're from, but tell them all what I've done for you. And if you study that man's life, it says he went back and began to go to the surrounding villages, to literally telling people about Jesus Christ, preaching about the kingdom. What does that tell you? Whether you're going out there or whether you're coming over here, there's still one purpose in mind. It's preaching the kingdom, preaching the message of the gospel to whosoever is willing to hear it. Hallelujah. Say it one more time. My duty is to get this message. To the people. Look at this. Write this down tonight. The only New Testament blueprint. I'm sorry. The only New Testament believer blueprint we have in the Bible is one who preaches the gospel everywhere. I know that's a mouthful right there. I got to remember. People write this down, John. This isn't just for you. Okay. The only New Testament believer blueprint. Say the only one. Again, you can't, find, you can't find another blueprint in the Bible. The only New Testament believer blueprint we have in the Bible, what's that blueprint? Is one, a believer who preaches the gospel everywhere. So a believer who preaches the gospel everywhere, that's the only New Testament believer blueprint that exists in the Bible. So a believer that didn't preach the gospel everywhere didn't exist in the Bible. 
If you were a Christian that refused to share the message of the gospel in the New Testament, you were not a Christian. Are you with me? Look at this. So I'm going to show you this. I began to read the book of Acts, and I saw this blueprint. Say blueprint. Look at Acts 2, 46. I'll read it in the New King James. So continually daily, this is the believers. This wasn't just a few people. This was the multitude, the believers. At this point, the 3,120 that were saved, all of them, men, women, young, old, children, didn't matter. It says, they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. Say house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So what does that tell you? That the New Testament believer in the book of Acts, they went every day. Y'all, we try to get Christians to show up once or twice a week. In the book of Acts, they went to church literally every single day. We, like, I'm so sick of watering it down. The Muslims are more dedicated to their false demonic God than Christians are. Muslims will drop everything that they do when a little sound comes on, and they'll get down and lay out a mat. They don't care who's watching. They don't care who sees them. They don't care if they're in the middle of the public. They'll get down and begin to pray to their false demonic God. You know, there was a Muslim that was, I heard it was a cab driver, that he would fast on his lunch break so that he could go in, in to the mosque every single day. He would skip his lunch break and fast and take his 45 minutes to drive down the road, go inside the mosque, do his Muslim prayer, and then not eat, not have time for lunch, and then get back in the cab to go drive and wait till the next prayer time during the day. They can be dedicated to a false dead God, a demonic God, but we can't get Christians to commit to like, well, Brother John, you have services that are over two hours long. Say they're two and a half hours long. That's five hours of your entire week. That's not a lot of time. Why don't you pull out your phone and check your screen time for the last week and then tell me if five hours is a lot of time. Are you all with me? We're watering this stuff down for people. It's, no, you should feel convicted. We should feel convicted about that. House to house, say house to house. So that's in Acts 2, 46. We have this blueprint of they went house to house. You know, and and you'll also see this theme throughout the book of Acts, and it says, and God increased them daily. That the multitude started getting saved. Well, why were they getting saved? Was it just because of the apostles' teaching? No, it was because these believers were going house to house. What do you think would happen when 10 believers showed up in Susie's house, where Susie's the only believer in that house, and she lives with 10 of her other relatives, and now these 10 believers show up full of the Holy Ghost, full of the power of God, telling them about Jesus, what was happening? People were getting saved left and right because these believers were devoted to preaching the message of the gospel. Look at Acts 5, 41 through 42. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day, in the temple and house to house, say house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Hallelujah. 
house to house. Say house to house. What did they do going house to house? Teaching, telling people Jesus is the Messiah. Hello, God loves you. Let me tell you, there's only one way to be saved. It's by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, ministering to people house to house. Y'all, it ain't just some weird Jehovah Witness Mormon thing. This is Book of Acts, Christianity. Acts 8. Turn to Acts chapter 8. The Lord showed me this. I've read the book of Acts so many times. I had a class in Bible college on the book of Acts, and this was never taught. I've never seen this. This blueprint here in Acts chapter 8. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, say all. At this point, there's literally thousands upon thousands. There's, uh, there has to be over 10,000 believers at this point by Acts chapter 8. Way, probably more than that. All the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Say believers. So this, it, it says except the apostles. So that means this isn't talking about the 12, the special ones, right? These are the believers. It says they were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church, and he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. Look at verse 4. But the believers, say the believers, who were scattered, preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. The gospel, Jesus prophesied and said, you shall receive power, Acts 1.8, when the Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What happened as persecution be began to come? Satan tried to slap the church and the believers were launched. Where were they launched? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the Roman Empire, up into modern day India, up into modern day Asia. The believers were launched everywhere. But when they were launched, did they get discouraged? Well, I just don't got a church to go to no more, man. No. What did they do? They preached the gospel everywhere that they went. That's why in less than 100 years, literally the Roman Empire, this pagan society, became a Christian society. Now, I know there was some corruption with that, but can you imagine? The, they literally, within 100 years, the church that started with 120 people, literally flipped the, the, the greatest human empire on the face of the planet in less than 100 years. Why? Because they had a few people that were just holding a few church services? No, the believers preached everywhere. Say everywhere. Say everywhere. Say the believers preached everywhere. Hallelujah. So, keep seeing, keep reading here. For example, Philip. Say Philip. For example, so this is interesting. I told y'all this last week, but Philip is the only, what they say, this is the only example of an evangelist in the entire Bible. Like whenever somebody goes to teach about the fivefold, the prophet, the apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the only evangelist that you can point to is Philip. But did you notice this? It says all the believers were scattered in preaching. For example, Philip. It didn't even say he was an evangelist. It says he was just a believer. Philip was just simply doing what every other normal Christian was doing at that time. 
And it just gives us, when we look at Philip's life, we actually get a glimpse into the life of a, any Christian in the book of Acts. Are y'all with me? So Philip went to the city of Samaria. What did he do? He told people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear the message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Wow. A believer that was performing signs, wonders, and miracles. How was he performing signs, wonders, and miracles? Well, he was preaching the message, and God backs the message. A lot of people say, well, Brother John, I've never seen the sick healed. How many sick people have you laid hands on? I don't see the sick healed. Really? How many this week have you prayed for? Well, none. What do you, what do you think is going to happen? You think one day God's just going to zap you with a lightning bolt? Now all of a sudden I just want to start praying for the. That's not going to happen. you got to step out in faith. If you want to see the sick killed, why don't you start finding sick people and saying, let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me, let me do what Jesus said to do. Let me lay my hands on you. Let me speak and condemn that disease, that infirmity in the name of Jesus, and then we'll believe God to do what he said he'll do in his word. Hallelujah. It's that easy. A child can do it. A child can understand it. Well, I don't know what I would pray. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Hallelujah. How do you feel? Next, in the name of, just, that's all you got to do. And I guarantee you start doing that. You'll start hearing testimonies. People that you're like, because oh, you're like, do I got to sit there and pray for 45 minutes, this huge theatrical? No, you don't. In the name of Jesus, be healed. That's it. Lay your hands on them. And I already know people will start coming and say, man, you prayed for me and my symptoms. And they'll come to you a day later, a week later. Those symptoms, they just totally left my body. Man, I felt like, crap, I was having fever all day long. Do you know that after you prayed for me, that fever left, all those symptoms completely left? You'll start getting testimonies like that. I got a testimony from a member of the church that said, Pastor John, thank you so much for teaching the word and teaching it unadulterated. They said, Sunday, I was in the communion service and I had been struggling with this problem in my body for several months that was excruciatingly painful. And as we were taking of communion and doing what the Bible says to do, and I was standing in faith on what you've taught, she said, I just got totally, all the, that problem that I was having just completely left my, my body. She said, all day today, I've been weeping and crying and rejoicing because the pain is completely gone. And I've just been thanking God because I feel so much better. Isn't that amazing? You know, the Bible says, when the Son of Man returns, who will he find on the earth who has faith? You know what God wants? God really just wants some believers in 2022 to believe what he said in his word. Hallelujah. This crazy thought, I'm a believer. What do you do? I believe. Amen. What do you believe? Everything that he said. You know, God spoke to Lester Summerall, and he said, in America, people say, like the Lord, I don't know if it was in a dream, in a vision, the Lord spoke to him and said, people talk about Jesus coming back, but they don't live like he's ever coming back. And he said that it broke his heart. He began to weep. And then that's when he actually started the Feed the Hungry 
where from the year 1990 to 1994, Lester Summerall spent over $7 million giving away hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds of food all across the world because the Lord gave him that. He said, the Lord told him that. People, people talk about Jesus is coming back, but they don't live like they actually believe that. And then the Lord told him and said, I don't want any of my children to die of starvation before I return. And so he just started doing everything he could. Feed the hungry. You know, someone's anointed. I was listening to the message today, a message he preached in 1994. And literally right there in Office Max, our church became monthly partners with his Feed the Hungry ministry. $200 a month, I said, we're going to start sewing towards that. I'm like, that's anointed. It can be almost 30 years later, and I'm still listening to this, being moved by the Word of God. Hallelujah. That's good stuff. Anyways, back to this. So we're talking about Philip. He was really, God's given us a glimpse in the life of a believer here. So skip on down to, let's see, verse 40. Meanwhile, it says, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there, and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So just look at that. It's just so simple. It says the believers were scattered preaching the Bible, preaching the gospel everywhere. For example, Philip, and then it gives you this glimpse into Philip's life. He's literally, he's literally just going. The Holy Spirit says, go on this road. He goes on this road, and he finds a eunuch reading from the book of Isaiah. And, and then the Lord connects him. He jumps into the, the carriage with this man, tells him about Jesus, uses the scripture and teaches him about Jesus. The eunuch says, stop, gets baptized. The Lord teleports him to another city. What does he do? He immediately hits the ground and starts telling people about Jesus, preaching the gospel. And then he, the Lord told him to go to another city. And it says every city along the way, he stopped and he preached the gospel everywhere that he went. Here's my whole point. This wasn't just Philip. This was the believer in the book of Acts. This is what they were doing, all of them. Hallelujah. Man, that just shook me. Acts 11, 19 through 21. This is that blueprint. Meanwhile, the believers, say the believers, who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, traveled as far as... Somebody help me with this. Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, and Syria. What did they do? They traveled that far. They preached the word of God. Say they preached. Say the believers preached. But only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and, and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord. The power of the Lord was with them. With who? Say the believers. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. You know, I just thought this was interesting too. Nobody had really preached the message to the Gentiles until Peter. And Peter was like the first one who he preached to Cornelius' house. Now the Gentiles are getting saved. And they're thinking, wow, this is some new thing, right? But then they come to find out that there was actually believers that had been scattered abroad that were already preaching to the Gentiles, and, and masses of these Gentiles were already getting saved. Hallelujah. 
You getting this point here? The point is the, the only New Testament believer blueprint we have in the Bible is one who preaches the gospel everywhere. It's the only example of a Christian we have. So, for example, when a believer's foot hit the ground in a city, they knew their purpose and mandate from God was to go door to door, street to street, to gather people and to tell them about Jesus. Say door to door. Say street to street. To gather people. That's what they would do. They would go to these synagogues. Why would they go to the synagogues? Because there would already be religious people there that had came to hear the word of God. And part of their traditions was they, the, the Pharisees, the teachers, would get up, read from the scroll, and then they would end the service by saying, does anybody have a word of encouragement for these people? You know what the believers would do? Right here. Pick me. Put me in, coach. They put them in, and they would stand up and just begin to use that scripture and tell these people about Jesus, and people were getting saved. Well, I'm not a preacher. God's a preacher. Jesus is a preacher. And if it's not me that lives, but it's him that lives in me. If I'll die to me and let him live through me, guess what? You can preach. Come on, someone. Come on, someone. I'm telling you, I've told you this. There will be some of you that are called to come and stay, but there will be some of you that catch this and go. Because even in the United States, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God needs Holy Ghost-filled pastors in every single town in Texas. He needs them in New Mexico. He needs them in Alaska. He needs them in North Dakota. That God is willing that none should perish. Amen. That's why I think that there's even people, you say, well, I wasn't God's first choice. Well, he doesn't care. You were his only choice because you said yes, and nobody else would say yes. So here's, here's kind of the Christian blueprint here. I'm going to make it very simple for you, okay? Talk to people one-on-one -on -one or gather people and present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very simple. As a Christian, you have two options. Talk to people one-on-one, door-to-door. Or gather people together and begin to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, I go to work. You know you can do this at work? Did you know if you go to work, say hypothetically you work in a factory, do you have a lunch break? Go in the cafeteria, start telling people, if you have the same lunch as me, instead of me sitting here for 30 minutes on my phone, I'm going to go on my lunch break and I'm going to gather as many people as I can to come and I'm just going to give a presentation of Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to lay hands, and I'm going to pray for people. You can do that as a believer. You can say, well, I don't have a lunch break like that. Do you work with anyone? You know how easy it would be to say, hey, my friend, can I take you out to lunch tomorrow and go bless somebody and buy their lunch, and when you take them out to lunch, tell them about Jesus Christ? Tell them that you love them. Tell them that God loves them. Tell them testimonies of what God has done for you. You know how easy that is? You want to go to lunch tomorrow? Nope. Okay. Well, there's seven other billion people on the planet. I bet you somebody will go to lunch with you. Gather people together or tell them one-to-one, one-on-one. Are you with me? Hallelujah. You can do this at work. You can do this at school. That's what we're doing in the schools. We're about to get it launched right now. What is it called? Priority first. First priority, we're working on getting that in the schools. What is it? Students gathering a group of people together during lunch and giving presentations of, of the gospel. 
for people to be saved, kids to be saved. You know, and that's what I try to tell our kids. As a Christian, you may go to that school to get an education, but your purpose is to not be, your purpose there is not just to be a student. Your purpose there is not just to sit in math class and learn what you need to learn and go into college and then go get some degree that probably won't even really do anything for you in a few years. You probably won't even end up working in that field anyways, like most people in my generation. Go spend a hundred grand, and then two years later, they're not even using the degree that they paid for. Hey, but let's pay off everybody's students, student debts. Hallelujah, right? No. Come on. Your debt, your bill. My debt, my bill. I ain't going to go buy a house and take out a big old debt and then go around and expect everybody to pay tax dollars to pay it off for me. Use that career and pay it off. Believe the, get a hold of the gospel and watch God pay off your debt. Amen. Anyways, praise God. I'm about done here tonight. Are y'all still okay? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let this get in our spirits, Jesus. <laughs> I'm going to skip that. I'm going to, you can write this down. Every believer is to do the work of the ministry. I know that kind of seems like a repeat of what I've already said. But I want, to, I want to show you this. Maybe you've never seen this in the scripture. Every believer is to do the work of the ministry. Look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. This is the fivefold, right? This is the one. These are the ones that everybody says, I'm not going to do the work of the ministry because God's risen them up to do the work of the ministry, right? I'm not going to preach. That's the preacher's job is to preach. If I, did the pre if I went around preaching, what would the preacher do, right? People have that kind of mindset. But it says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. For what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Why does God give churches, pastors, to raise up people, to make disciples, to do what? The work of the ministry. To do what Jesus did. Go around preaching, teaching everywhere. That's why you need to go through spiritual boot camp in the church that you attend. You need to learn how to, you need to be pushed to step outside of your comfort zone. You need to be put in opportunities. I love, we were, me and Miss Sarah. We were out soul winning Saturday together. We had Amaris with us. We'd knock on a door, and I'd say, Amaris, have you ever done one by yourself? I can't remember if she said yes or she said no, but we basically, we did like three of them, showed her how to do it, and we said, you knock on this door and you do it now. And she would knock on the door and, and do it as a child. That's amazing, right? I'm not saying toot, toot, you know, look at us, look at our church, not tooting our horn, but that, that's what biblical discipleship should look like. Let me tell you what we're supposed to do. You watch me do it. Now you do it. Are you with me? I pray, you know, we, we just got some sound equipment the Lord bless us with. We're going to be going into apartments. I told the Lord, because we do so much, we have November planned. We got an evangelist coming. That's going to be a blowout weekend. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be doing meetings Friday. Uh, outreach Saturday morning, big outreach. Like we're going to drop some money, 
go out, really get people to come and, and just wreak Give the devil a bad day in Lufkin, Texas. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to have Saturday revival, Sunday morning service, Sunday night revival. In October, I have things planned. I told the Lord, I said, Lord, just let me have September, okay? Let my baby come and, and let us do that. And when October comes, I'll, I'll, I'll hit it running hard. Praise the Lord. But so I say all that to say that, you know, we're... We're about to do this outreach ministry. My, my, my prayer is not that you just come and serve at these ministries. My prayer is that they become a blueprint in you for you to go into apartments, for you to go into cities, for you to go into places. Wouldn't that be awesome one day if we could have an outreach going in Huntington, Zavala, Dybal, Lufkin, Nacogdoches, literally all in the same day just different teams going, doing the same blueprint, just duplicated over in every place. And the Lord give us like five or six vans, and we just go, we preach, and then we show up the next day and pick these people up and bring them into the house of the Lord. And then what do we do? We start making disciples out of these people, getting them saved, getting them free, getting them filled with the Holy Ghost. Saved, trained, commissioned. So it says that, that God gives the fivefold. He gives the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Listen, y'all hear that? God gave the what? The prophet. Say the prophet. Not just to sit in your room and say, hallelujah, God's going to judge America and just be one of those weird prophetic people. He gave the prophet to train the saints up for the work of the ministry. When you listen to that prophet, something better start stirring on the inside of you to put the rubber to the road and go out and be a harvester and to begin to gather in the harvest. So I'm going to end with this. Some of y'all are saying, oh, man, this was great. Some of y'all are saying, thank God. So I'm giving you a very clear, undeniable presentation from the Bible. I'm not screaming at you. I'm not shouting. I'm just talking to you. I'm telling you this is what the Bible says. This is what's convicting me. And I'll tell you how these convictions carry over into real life. I'll tell you a story in a second. But So now that you're hearing this presentation, you may say this. John, I see it. What you're saying is true. What you're saying is scriptural. What you're saying is right. But I have these two problems. Number one, I'm not comfortable with it. Number two... My life is not set up for that style of living. My life does not make that convenient. So I know what you're saying is true, and it's undeniable. But I'm not, com- I'm not comfortable doing that, and my life is not set up to make that convenient. And I want to tell you this final point, and it's this. This is the cost of following Jesus. John, I'm not comfortable. That's the cost of following Jesus. Is dying to that being uncomfortable. Dying to that insecurity. And we'll talk about that. Number two, my life, that, this is just, that's not convenient for me. That doesn't really work with my schedule. That's the cost of following Jesus. That's the price. Say the price. You say, John, my life, my time, it doesn't allow me to do that. There's a cost. There's a price. Look at Luke 9, 23 through 26. Jesus said to the crowd, If any of you want to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way. John, that doesn't make me comfortable. I'm an introvert. I don't feel confident to go talk to people. I'm going to tell you something. You must give up your own way. I tell you, Jessica, when we first met Jessica, you probably didn't even talk to us. Like the first three months, you started coming to church here. I think the first time I had a conversation with Jessica was when she joined small groups, like months after. And we sat down and had a real, like, meaningful conversation. Now she's out every Saturday winning souls with us, knocking on doors. That was not the woman that we met just a couple years ago. There's a cost. It'll cost you yourself. He said, you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross daily. Say daily. Deny yourself daily. Follow me. If you try to hang on to your own life, you'll lose it. If you try to hang on to that, I'm not comfortable with that. You're going to lose it. If you try to hang on to, well, that's not really convenient with my time and my schedule, you're going to lose it. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What benefit does it gain? Does it gain? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost and destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Y'all, I'm telling you that right there. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the message of the gospel. Today, I was praying at Office Max, laying hands on this lady who has had cancer, just got a report back that she has cancer in her throat. She already had stage four cancer before. You know, the thought in your flesh crosses your mind. There's other people standing here, right? I could say, well, God bless you. Come to church and let me pray for you. But then there's this realization. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what the New Testament church did. There's other people standing here. Then you have to come to this reality. So what? Why are we ashamed of the gospel? Why are we ashamed for them to hear me pray? Why are, they, why are we ashamed for them to hear my voice be lifted up in a, in a public space and hear me tell, listen to me tell this woman about Jesus Christ? Why are we ashamed? Jesus said, if you're ashamed of my message, I'll be ashamed of you when I return in my glory with the holy angels. Luke 14, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. There is a cost of following Jesus. Well, if I live like this, it will cost me my, you're going to say, if I live like you're telling me, John, it's going to cost me my time. Yes. Say yes. Tell your neighbor, say yes. John, if I live like this, it's going to cost me some things in my schedule. Turn to your neighbor and say yes. You don't even have to guess. That's exactly what I'm saying to you. John, if I live like this, it's going to cost me, it's going to cut into my time of entertainment. Turn to somebody and say yes. You know the Lord's been speaking to me about entertainment? The Lord actually told me, he said, and this is a little off subject, but so many people never see the desires of their heart come to fruition because they have an idolatry problem with entertainment. Think about this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. And the Lord began to speak to me, what does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? And he said, a lot of people, they don't delight themselves in the Lord because when they have free time, they're delighting themselves in entertainment. 
They're not delighting themselves in my presence. They're not delighting themselves in my word. They're not delighting themselves by retreating and and having one-on-one fellowship with me. They're delighting themselves in Netflix. They're delighting themselves in Xbox. They're delighting themselves in laying in bed and scrolling on social media. They're delighting themselves in all these other forms of entertainment. It's become idolatry, and therefore, because they never delight themselves in me, they never see their heart's desires come to fruition. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, if you'll begin to delight in me, what does that mean? All that free time to do all the other entertaining stuff? He said, if you'll begin to just find delight in me during that time, you'll begin to watch your heart's desires just boom, 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 boom. Isn't that powerful? It was to me. Hallelujah. So you say, well, my time doesn't allow, yes, it'll cost you your time, it'll cost you your schedule, it'll cost you your entertainment, and then it says that, you may say, well, John, I don't feel comfortable doing this. This is the other cost. There's a cost of following Jesus. This is the cost. It costs you yourself. Say, it cost me myself. Again, in Galatians 2.20, it says, the old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8, you should keep a clear conscience in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news. Say work. Work. What does that mean to work? you got to put energy. you got to put time. You have to be intentional. You have to go to work telling others about the good news and fully carry out this ministry that God has given you. What's this ministry? The ministry is not just revival house. You know, I don't really think God cares that much about names that much. He's not so interested in the logo and the branding and the T-shirts and the names. The ministry is the gospel. That's the ministry. When he's saying work at hard, fully carry out this ministry, what's the ministry? The ministry of the good news that's been given to every believer. Say, it's my job to get my, the message, to get the message to the people. Hallelujah. So he said, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. For I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. This prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. One more scripture, Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Say sacrifice. Here's something missing in most people's Christianity. Sacrifice. Let your life, let your body be a holy, living sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So again, you may say, John, I'm not comfortable doing this. I understand. John, I'm just not there yet. I understand. But this is where that submission has to come. Lord, I see what I should do, but I don't want to do what I should do. So I'm going to come to you. I'm going to believe for you to give me the power to do the things that please you. I'm going to die to my flesh. 
I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to my insecurities. I'm going to step out in faith. You know, sometimes your mind, I'll tell you the truth. When I went to Office Max, there's a girl, every time I see her there, I tell her the same thing. I, I give her the gospel. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Have you ever called on the name of, she knows, she knows me by name. Yep, that's the same thing you've told me the last three times you've been in here. So, right, our, our goal, last week I gave you a goal. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 4, to mark out the path for your feet. So that means that you can't just pray, oh, Lord, quicken me and make me want to do this stuff. No, you've got to mark out the path. The path is simple. I said last week, commit yourself to telling one person about Jesus every single day. I already told this lady about Jesus. I did my one, you know, in that place, which I do more than that, but I did the one that day, today. And then I turn around. And there's another person. I'm just waiting. Like I have this free time. There's a lady standing behind me now. I'm going to tell you, my flesh, you know what my flesh wanted to do? You already told one. You're good. You already told that one, right? You're not a hypocrite. You're not telling them to do something you don't do. You already did that one. You're good. No, but then it's in that moment that you have to die to your flesh, You've got to die. You've got to lay it down like an offering to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to tell this woman about Jesus as an offering unto you that's living, that's, that's pleasing, that's acceptable unto you. I'm going to step out of fear. I'm going to step out of the spirit of fear and timidity, and I'm going to step into power, love, a sound mind, boldness. And I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to tell her. And then as soon as I said that, I said, God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Tear. She just began to tear up, and she said, I needed to hear that. Then it was just like softball. Pew. Hallelujah. So ready. The harvest is ripe. The harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to take up our tithes and offerings tonight. Just lift your hands to the Lord. Father, I pray that this word quickens every heart. Lord, you said that we shall receive power when the Spirit comes upon us, and we shall be a witness. I thank you for every person that's heard this word tonight and desires this, desires to be a witness, desires to run with the fire, desires to tell our generation this message that is being shut up, shut down, and, and pushed out, that, Father, that you, there would just be an impartation of boldness that come in them, that the spirit of fear would leave in Jesus' name, that the spirit of timidity would leave in the name of Jesus, and a newfound boldness would come on them that comes by the spirit that comes from you, Lord. Put it in them. Look at every heart. Don't look on the outside because man judges on the outside, but the Lord looks at a heart. I pray if there's anybody in this room that's like David, that's a man or woman, that's after your very own heart, that will do what you tell them to do. You will anoint them. You'll open doors for them. You'll do for, you'll do for them and through them what they could never do for or through themselves. By themselves. In a hundred years, you'll start to do it supernaturally if they'll surrender and obey the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, that as every person in here that will heed to this message and begin to preach the gospel, you'll come behind their efforts. Lord, you'll begin to fill the boat with fish to the point of sinking in Jesus' name. 
Lord, as the harvesters are sent out, you'll fill this church up so full to where the walls are busting at the seams. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Lord. That if, if the people are going to be proud of wickedness, if they'll march in the street with choke collars and spandex and, and speedos on and be unashamed about the wickedness, the things of darkness, Lord, that we would be twice as loud, twice as bold, twice as unashamed of the message of the gospel. Hallelujah. If we can drive up to the coffee shop and see a, a pride flag on someone's shoulder, then we can be unashamed to, to carry the banner of the gospel and say, hey, you're happy to be gay? God loves you. I'm happy. I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of what he did for me. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that he loves you and what he did for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for blueprints in the workplace. Every person that's in here, you begin to speak to them how they can reach their workplace with the gospel, how they can reach their own family with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. If you believe it and receive it, just give the Lord praise for it in this place. <laughs> Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.